night on WIP. Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to a New Year edition of our Fighting Network. I'm Don Henderson, and we've got our normal string of guests along the way, and we will have a very interesting show, which is changing by the minute. Roy Cummings is in 
I always ready to go. And uh, Roger Hendler is now in Washington D.C. So, uh, or I'm sorry, he's now in Atlanta, and moving out of Washington D.C. to Atlanta. So we've moved a lot of people around in the last uh, since the Christmas holidays, and a lot of illness away along the way as well. Had a bunch of stories to talk about at the top, uh, but DSPN is leading off with the biggest one, I guess. Nick Saban, fellas, uh, decided to call it quits at Alabama, twenty. Uh, national championships, uh, 1920 was uh, uh, his last one. And uh, he, uh, what, has seven all-told, I guess, seven all-told national championships. Year uh, 2020 was his last. Roger, a thought, and then uh, Roy Cummings, a thought from you. Well, I thought it was interesting, Don, what Frank said about he's going to be a uh, owner or co-owner of a golf course down there. And, uh, you know, maybe this is it. He figures, hey, listen. I've had a, lot, a great run. Uh, things are changing. And uh, now with the, the new SEC, the way it's going to be structured, I think it's going to change a lot of things because you're not going to have divisions. So you're going to have the top two teams playing off. And sometimes the top two teams really maybe aren't the best two teams. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether that factors into it or not. He's not that old, early 70s, but he has had a great run. And, uh, you know, I wish him the best. Well, as I say, 2020, the last national championship, and he's got seven of them to go along, uh, all told. And, Roy, uh, uh, you've seen a lot of uh, SEC football as well as National Football League football. And uh, a little bit of a surprise, I would say, today that uh, he made this announcement. Yeah, definitely a surprise. I don't think anybody saw this coming. And, uh, you know, having said that, you know, we don't know the reasons for it, you know, just yet. Um, You know, but I hope at the end of the day it's a matter of, look, I had a great run, and, uh, you know, I'm going to leave as arguably arguably the best, you know, coach in college football history. Um, You know, certainly right up there with, uh, you know, Woody Hayes, Bo Schembechler, uh, Bear Bryant, uh, you know, Eric Parsegian, he's right up there. And, uh, you know, maybe it's maybe he just decided, hey, you know what, time to, you know, pay attention, a little, little attention to the family. I, I, I would I won't be surprised, though, guys, if, if this has if some of this is a result of just the changing landscape of college football that is, is changing so dramatically and so quickly that, you know, I think um, I'm not I'm not ready to say that you need to be a younger coach in order to to figure it all out, but, you know, transfer portals and, uh, you know, the way the players are being paid and everything else. And I'm not against any of that. I think it's all great uh, for college football and for the players in particular, obviously. But I just wonder if a guy who's, uh, you know, so accustomed to a certain system um, sees an opportunity, you know, sees the change coming and says, you know, says, you know what, this is kind of not what I'm, this is, I, I don't need to make this adjustment now. I don't need to to adjust to this format uh, and try to figure all this out. Maybe somebody else can do a better job of that here at Alabama. And, um, you know, and I think that might have something to do with it as well. I I don't think he, he can own a, he can own a golf course and coach college football at the same time. That's, that's, I don't think that's it. But (laughs) I think at the end of the day, my guess is that there's probably some changes coming in the way the the game is being, you know, just the way teams are built. And I think he probably has decided, you know what, uh, I, I'm better fit for the old system. And if uh, I, I would think uh, I wouldn't be surprised to hear that if that system were still in place, 
that he might still be in place. Well, we were so uh, prepared uh, going into the show tonight to talk about all the coaches in the National Football League. Of course, we're going to talk about the Eagles game against the Bucks uh, on Monday night, which is right in your backyard. But at the same time, uh, uh, we, we some coaches we expected to go. Washington was certainly one of the ones we didn't uh, anticipate there'd be a, even a chance that he'd have to stay. But Rabel uh, going to Tennessee uh, last night, a little bit of surprise. We haven't heard anything about Belichick as yet. Vrabel has also been mentioned right away, as you would expect. Great player up there with the Patriots, and uh, maybe he'd be in the running if uh, Belichick is going to back out or move out or be sold out or what's going to happen. Uh, Roy, your thoughts on that one first before I go to Roger. Yeah, really surprised, first of all, again, that uh, that, that, that that firing happened uh, in Tennessee uh, look, the problems in Tennessee were not the head coach. It was not a result of who you have uh, at the top of the uh, the hierarchy there. Um, little, you know, I think the general manager probably had a lot, you know, had, had, needs needs to be looked at, but certainly not Mike Vrabel. But you know, now that it's done for whatever reason, and I don't think it's a good one, and I think what the Tennessee Titans have just done is set themselves up for at least half a decade of struggles. Um, because it's look, like, look, guys, it's hard to find good coaches. It's hard to find good head coaches who can, can who can win consistently. And Mike Vrabel has proved to prove to be that kind of a coach. So six years he was there. Six years. This. Yes, in six years, six good years. You know, not six great years, but six good years. Always in the mix. And um, you know, granted, in a weak division, so you know, maybe you could argue, you could make the argument, say, okay. You know, we should have been better in this division, you know, against weak Houston teams, weak Jacksonville teams, um, you know, on you know, and so forth. So you can make that argument possibly, but uh, he had him in the mix. And uh, I think what at the end of the day, as you've, you've alluded to, Don, it, it just opens the door perfectly for New England to say, okay, this is our guy. You know, he's, he's, he's Patriots royalty, just like Belichick, just like Brady. Um, I think it would be a perfect fit. Uh, perfect transition, someone who's been there, done it, had success. I um, think he'd be loved by the fans, and uh, I think he'd be a nice um, nice breath of fresh air in uh, New England uh, based on what we've seen uh, recently. Roger? Well, I think indicators about this may have started two years ago, <clears throat> pardon me, when he said there's no way A.J. Brown's going to be traded, and then he was traded to the Eagles. And, uh, you know, that had to be embarrassing for uh, Vrabel, who I have the utmost respect for, and I think he is a great coach. And they and they definitely they made a mistake. I agree with both of you on that. But I really think that that sent a signal about there is a little bit of uh, dissension within the ranks of the coaching and the general manager and the ownership at the Titans. And I guess with this last season, maybe it's one thing if, you know, you're over 500, you're, uh, you're doing pretty good. But then when you go under, this gives you an opportunity to make a move. That's just my thought. I think it started two years ago. Fellas, so let's go south. Nobody could uh, have expected anything other than Washington changing coaches and changing coaching staffs. Uh, Roy, your thought on Washington? Yeah, again, I um... – I know we, we saw it coming. Don't agree with it, 
It's another one that I don't agree with. Uh, you know, unless Ron Rivera, you know, has decided that, you know, he's he's ready to, to pack it in as well as a coach and move on, um, I, I just don't see how they're going to get better. Uh, again, there are just certain situations where the coach is not the problem. Um, you know, Carolina got rid of Ron Rivera, and I don't think they've been as good since. Uh, I think the same will happen in Washington. This this will They'll look back at this and say, yeah, probably should have held on to that guy. Probably had a pretty good, uh, you know, setup with him. But, um, you know, they've made their move, and I'm um, surprised. Uh, if he wants to, I, I can't imagine Ron Rivera not getting a job uh, just about anywhere he wants it, you know, where there's an opening. Uh, I would think that he would easily get that. He's an exceptional head coach, um, works both sides of the ball exceptionally well. Um, but you know what? Um, the new ownership was kind of they, – they inherited Ron Rivera. Maybe they want to make some, some drastic changes and go in a completely different direction and just kind of start fresh. And I can understand that too. Um, but you better be sure about who you're going to get first. And, and this is the thing, guys. I, I, I have never understood the decision to fire a coach – unless you know exactly who it is you're going to get to replace them. Not who you want, but who you're going to get. Because who you want and who you're going to get can be two different things, and they often are. So I'm usually not a fan of uh, some of these coaching moves where, where you've got a team that, you know, struggling primarily, not because the coach isn't doing his job, but because the general manager isn't doing his job, as, as certainly Roger just alluded to in, in uh, uh, Tennessee where, the, where the, uh, the, the scouting staff isn't doing their job, where the draft hasn't gone well. Um, you know, you could say in Tennessee and Washington both uh, that, the, you know, the downfall there in recent years is a result of things outside of the coaching staff, particularly the head coach. And I just think that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I, I don't think this makes either team better, bottom line. Roger, Pete Carroll in Seattle. Next up. Yeah, yeah, well, also, uh, the uh, Roy, the uh, Falcons, uh, they're in that category. You know, I mean, Arthur Smith, yeah. three years, seven and seven and uh, what was it, nine uh, or eight, you know, eight, nine, whatever. And that's what it was for three years. And they thought they were getting uh, somebody good. And I'm not saying he's a, you know, bad coach, could be a great uh, coordinator, but not a good head coach because he's very poor. Uh, in facing the uh, media. You know, he feels uneasy, and uh, Sirianni was the first time, too. Pete, Pete Carroll, I agree that just the same situation. Who is going to replace him? And uh, the guy in, what, 14 years has been in the playoffs 10 times, I believe, won, uh, won uh, Super Bowl. You know, look at how many coaches are around a long time, and they've never – not even got to the Super Bowl, but won a Super Bowl. So um, you know, I don't know. I I I, the, uh, they, I think these owners think that um, you know they can just put anybody in there. I feel sorry for Frank uh, Reich. I mean, you know, he he was what at midseason let go in his first year. How do you know uh, whether you're, he, uh, he's going to turn it around or not? You don't know that in a half of a season. You got to, and like you said, Roy, you got to have the scouts. You got to have the um, a, a good general manager with uh, a tremendous uh, staff, internal and external. And these teams do not have that. At a, 
and a quarterback, exactly. And Roy, your thoughts on Pete Carroll? Well, as, uh, again, you know, I'm, I'm a little surprised. Um, you know, it sounds to me like when a guy is fired, he clearly, you know, he's, 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 he's obviously against uh, moving on. Again, another guy that I think uh, could easily get a job if he wants another one, uh, will get another job if he wants another one, and maybe he does. Maybe he wants to move into a different position, maybe management or something. Um, but, again, I, I don't know that I see the Seahawks being better without Pete Carroll. Um, you know, and I'm not saying – look, I'm not saying that these teams could never move on from who they've got. Uh, I'm just – as I said, you know, interrupted uh, Rogers, you know, at the end of his, his last uh, comments – None of these teams have quarterbacks, you know, that, that are, that are you know, grade A or grade B quarterbacks. Um, you know, Ryan Tannehill is probably the closest one, and he's been hurt. So, you know, you've got issues in every one of these cities. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like with politics, you know, where they always say, you know, it's the economy, stupid. Well, it's the quarterback, stupid. If you don't have one, uh, you're going to struggle in this league. It, 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 I, I hate to simplify it to that degree, but that's really kind of what it is. If, if you've got the quarterback, you'll win. And, and, and if you don't, you won't. And if your quarterback is good, but just plays poorly, you, you'll still struggle. Um, and that doesn't mean that you have to change coaching, coaching staffs and, uh, and, you know, tear the, the organization upside down because again, you know, look at what, you know, you're going to see these teams all probably try to draft a quarterback, and at least half of them, if not, you know, two thirds of them, will miss on that on that selection. It'll they'll look at their draft board and say that was the player to take at that spot. But that doesn't mean that's the best player to take. You know, there's just quarterbacks are ridiculously overrated in the draft. Teams put way too much. Bad teams, particularly, put way too much emphasis. And uh, on, on a quarterback coming in and changing everything around immediately, and when it doesn't happen, uh, everybody's kind of like, "Well, okay, that that you know, get rid of the coach, get rid of the GM, get rid of the quarterback, start all over." And it's like, no, it doesn't work that way, guys. It's just you can't expect a young quarterback to come in and fix a bad team. It's usually not going to happen. And without a good head coach, it's even harder to do. Well, you look at the win-loss percentage for Pete Carroll in Seattle. It's pretty good. Well, I don't know the exact number. I think it's 137, 50-something, and one, something like that. It's way, way over 500. And uh, as, as Roger said, you know, went to the Super Bowl. Uh, he's, he's always had a winning, uh, winning program there and uh, another bit of a surprise. But let's go to Monday night's game because we're all interested in that one. You're right there in Tampa. Uh, they've, they've did pretty much what you said during the season. They were in a weak division, a chance to win, and the Bucks did exactly that. And they're now in a perfect position to take on the Philadelphia Eagles. And we'll let you comment first because Roger has seen them drop like lightning. Go, <laughs> go ahead, Roy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Guys, this to me is one of the most intriguing games of this first round of the playoffs just because you have what we thought was a Super Bowl-caliber team in the Eagles at the start of the season against a team that some, some didn't think could even, you know, was even worthy of making the playoffs um, and, and would probably end up, uh, you know, in a, in a, in a, like a lottery position for, a, uh, you know, in the, getting a top-ten draft pick. Um, and, and now you look at it and you say, it, it's a toss-up. 
This game, especially with the Bucks at home, it's a toss-up. Now, it will feel a lot like a home game for Philadelphia because they will the, the stands will be half full at least <laughs> with Eagles fans. The Bucks fans will probably not be able to drown out drown out the Eagles fans. So the Eagles will benefit from that, I think, to some degree. But at the end of the day, uh, you look at these two teams on paper and you look at them on, uh, as how they played on the field, and it's a toss-up. It's going to come down probably to, you know, which quarterback plays better, who makes the better big plays. Uh, you know, can, can Tampa eliminate – look, this was not even a contest the first time these two teams played each other earlier in the year, but a lot has changed since then. Um, the Bucks are still quite vulnerable to the run, which is one of the things that the, uh, the Eagles really uh, beat them with the first time around. Um, they can give up a lot of chunk yards, Tampa Bay, but you know what? They can score too. And that's the area where the Eagles uh, tend to struggle is um, they have trouble uh, holding teams off the scoreboard. So, uh, as I said, th- this one's a toss-up. Uh, to me, I think it's the most intriguing matchup of the uh, the first round, certainly in the NFC, I think it is, and uh, anxious to see it. In fact, I think the NFL knows darn well that this was uh, uh, that this is a, as good a matchup as there is in the first round. That's why they put it on Monday night. I think, too, that uh, the sleeper move of the entire offseason and into training camp was uh, the Bucks coming up with a quarterback that nobody expected. And you have said repeatedly on this show that he has been more than they anticipated and has really kept them alive. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, kudos to the Buccaneers. And, again, you know, this goes back to what we talked about earlier, Roger and Don and I. Uh, this, this is what we we talked about with these other teams that are that are letting their head coaches go. I don't know that Todd Bowles is going to survive this season, even if they, you know, even if they made the playoffs. If they lose uh, Monday night, you know, he could be gone too. But we've got to get you've got to give credit to Jason Light and his staff because they've done a remarkable job of building a team that has been successful uh, for several years. And granted, it's the quarterback. Stupid. I mean, they had Tom Brady. But now Tom Brady's gone, and they they took the biggest what most people thought was the biggest risk of the uh, of the free agency period. They signed Baker Mayfield of all people, and uh, you and know the, a guy and who the three other teams out, right struck out with three other teams. But if you looked at the you know if you looked at the tape, you know you saw that well here's a guy that that you know when he's right when he's healthy when he's got some talent around him is a pretty darn good quarterback, and he's a guy who players gravitate to, that they tend to play for, and they play hard for because he plays hard. And I think, you know, the whole thought process was we got nothing to lose here. We we just lost the greatest quarterback of all time. We can do one of two things. We can, you know, kind of throw a Hail Mary pass here and see if it works out, or we can blow it all up and start all over again. Well, you know what? I like what I've got on offense. We've got a lot of weapons there. Uh, we like what we've got on defense. All we need is a quarterback. Here's a guy who just needs the right spot. He just needs someone to believe in him. He just needs an opportunity to play his game and have some people around him who can catch the ball and run it a little bit. And that's what the Bucks have. And they are benefiting as a result. And uh, Baker Mayfield, I think, has found a home. You know, we don't know that, you know, for sure just, just yet what's going to happen with him because we don't know for sure what's going to happen with the, uh, you know, the coaching staff either. Because again, I, I still think there's a chance based on the way they've played over the last two, three weeks, that if the Bucks lose and lose badly against Philadelphia, 
Ty Bowles could be let go, and uh, they, they could blow it up all eventually at the end of the, at the end anyway. But uh, the Bucks are in this playoff spot because of one guy, and that's Baker Mayfield. And uh, and he's here because Jason Light is, in my opinion, maybe the most underrated uh, general manager in the game. This this guy takes chances. He finds ways to get people here that uh, that make impacts. Uh, you know, this is a guy that that, that found Shaq Barrett. Uh, you know, pulled him off a roster in Denver when he was being, you know, when he wasn't being used. This is a guy who somehow got uh, Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski to come out uh, of retirement and play. Um, you know, this guy's got a knack, and he's got a tremendous um, staff around him, scouts. Uh, they don't miss in the draft very often, guys. They really don't. Uh, you look at the players that they've picked up, and uh, they don't they don't miss very often. And uh, uh, that's the reason that they're, they are where they are right now. Roger, we saw the greatest what? collapse maybe in the last 10 years of the National Football League because the first five weeks of the season, everybody say, well, they can't go undefeated. But to walk into the Super Bowl, is going to be almost a laughing stock. And then where are we now? Well, you know, I was talking, I was uh, te- texting back and forth uh, last night with Howard Eskin, and he just said the uh, – the fans in WIP are just uh, over the top, obviously. Uh, but uh, Ira was on uh, with uh, Chris Russo this afternoon, Roy, and he figures there'll be at least 20,000 Eagle fans at the game Monday night. Uh, also, you'll be happy to know, I went to bed last night hearing Ira Melman, uh, I mean, uh, Ira uh, at Kaufman, on with Jody McDonald on WIP at 11 o'clock to 11:30. So uh, it's nice to go to bed, notice, go to sleep, listening to Ira. Okay, but anyway, uh, I, sure, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure he had that. an opinion or two, Roger. <laughs> oh, he did. He did. And then, and then he wanted today. He wanted everybody to feel sorry for him because he's going to be at the game Monday night and he's got to get an early flight to go to Atlanta the next day because he's got a two-day uh, Hall of Fame meeting, okay? So, but anyway, <laughs> a, a couple of things about the Eagles. Uh, number one, I think that if they uh, they bomb in this game, I think Sirianni's gone. I really do. Because the uh, Laurie and Roseman have proven they don't care about getting rid of a coach that's uh, been a winner. And that was, the, you know, obviously Doug Peterson. That's number one. Number two, I wanted to bring up something about Atlanta because I know you're friends uh, with Rich McKay. He is getting beaten up big time in Atlanta by the media, Roy, because uh, Arthur Blank announced that he and Rich McKay would be the ones selecting the new coach, and Terry Fontenot will not be involved. Well, first of all, that's a mistake if you're not going to allow the general manager to have input. But people are are really getting tired of Rich McKay and the influence he has on the Falcons. When they had their most success, Mike Smith was there, and then Thomas Dimitrov, and Rich McKay was really just running the business, you know, side of it, most really. And that was the plan. Well, that's all changed. And Arthur Blank is no longer 60 years old, okay? And... uh, it's just it's unbelievable uh, how Rich is getting beaten up about uh, being uh, in the decision maker uh, for a new coach. So there you well, have my my report. One very important thing, guys. Uh, they may, the people in Atlanta who are beating up on Rich McKay have 
probably forgotten uh, one very, very important thing. Uh, Rich McKay is the man who hired Tony Dungy here in Tampa. And mm-hmm. um, he, his football acumen is still better than about uh, 90% of the people involved <laughs> in the game. Um, so if Rich McKay, my guess is that what Arthur Blank has decided is that, you know what, we've kind of dickered around here a little bit, uh, you know, trying to find out, find the best coach. And Rich McKay maybe hasn't been involved. Maybe it's time to get him back involved again and see what uh, see what he comes up with. Um, he's he's a pretty smart man, and uh, and by the way, he's also the guy that when he was forced to fire Tony Dungy, uh, or he, actually he didn't fire Tony Dungy, the Glazers did. He's the one who found uh, John Gruden too. So, um, you know, the man the man knows his business. He knows his football, and he knows it as well as anybody. So. I would say that uh, the Falcons are probably on a pretty good path if Rich McKay is the one leading the uh, the search for the new coach. Well, before we wind it all up, it's 27 minutes after the hour, and I know you've got to get to, to your dinner. But uh, <clears throat> as we take a look at this game, the Eagles, uh, he just sort of gave a, an idea, thought that the Bucks had a chance to win it. They couldn't uh, let their uh, defensive line be eaten up by the run of the Eagles. Uh, which way are you going to pick, and what's the score? Look, I still think the Eagles are the better team. Um, you know, they've, they've kind of played around all year, looking anywhere near what they, they should look like. But uh, i got to think that this is a team that's got a lot of pride, and they're going to, you know, they got a week to figure things out and say, look, we got a chance to reset, the, uh, reset this whole thing. And let's hit the reset button and go out and play football the way we're capable of. And I think they'll probably win. I think they'll win rather handily. I think they'll win by two scores. Uh, at least, I, I think they win by 10 points, maybe more. Uh, I'll say, uh, you know, I'll say 28-17. 28-17. So you said the coach, the coach is not on the hot seat. He's not going to get fired by a loss in Tampa. No, the Eagles, uh, he may get fired, but, he, but he, he's going to survive uh, the trip to Tampa. Roger, your final comment on that. Roger? Roger? No comment. Yeah, Roger's getting the next guest on. Hello. Do, Don, Do we lose Roger? I'm sure you guys will continue yeah. to talk yeah, about I'm that. Yeah, I'm here. He's more than I'm here. Oh, there he is. Yeah, I was just trying to get uh, our next guest uh, on the phone, and uh, I'll, I did get him, and, and it wasn't good. So I'm going to call back. Uh, but, uh, you know, when the game, uh, I am picking the Bucks to beat the Eagles Monday night. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, I I just don't see them. Um, I don't see them, uh, you know, um, making it. Well, I like to see the head coach of the Vorks last at least another year. He had a tough time in New York. He got to the playoffs the first year with the Jets, and then it all fell apart. He did not have any talent at all. Uh, I think his general manager, as Roy said, has made some outstanding moves to make to keep him in the hunt this year and put him in a position to be in the playoffs. So I, I think uh, I think he's got a shot. I think he's got a legitimate shot to win this game against the Eagles because there seems to be complete uh, disorientation the way the Eagles are playing right now, and especially the way their quarterback is playing right now. So I, I think they've got a great shot to be right in it, Roy. Uh, we'll wait and see. Well, it'll be interesting, that's for sure, no doubt about that. And uh, we either way, no matter what happens, we will have much to discuss next week, guys. Well, we'll have a lot of fun with that one. Have a great dinner, and we'll get together next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me, as always. Appreciate it. Okay.
Take care. All right, now, uh, Roger's been trying to get a uh, guest, a, a friend of his, for a couple of weeks on the show, but because of the Christmas holidays and some illness, we didn't. Uh, we had a couple of shows where we took off. But uh, a young coach, a young coach that has coached two high school teams over the last 50 years, and uh, if you can name uh, a single coach that has coached 50 high school games with only two different teams, uh, Roger, I'll let you introduce Randy right now. Uh, he's still off, off air, John. Pardon me? He's still trying to get him on. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. okay. Well, let's, uh, let, uh, let's you and I kick it around a little bit. Uh, because, sure. hey, you found I'm the... with Roy. I think, it's, I think the Eagles do have a, uh, a fair shot this, uh, this weekend. Um, yeah, it, it, it pains me that uh, Brown is down. Uh, yeah, it pains me that uh, we have a quarterback that has a uh, passing hand that, the, that he's messed up his finger on. But I'm sure that they're going to have that all taken care of by the time they get there. And I think that uh, finally, uh, after all the uh, hullabaloo between the Philadelphia Press and uh, and the owners, I think that uh, Sirianni and, and his coaching staff are finally on uh, speaking terms, which I don't think they were the last couple of weeks. However, I did think that it is um, tail-telling that the defensive coordinator has already applied for another job. Well, I'll tell you, I, I think there's a, a lot of confusion within the within the Eagles camp, and I think there has been over the last three or four weeks, uh, whether it's going to carry into this last game of the season or what could be their last game of the season. I certainly don't know any better than any of the three of us do, but – uh, yeah. Frank, I, I agree with you. I I, I just think that uh, they've had so much unrest. Are they going to be able to put that all to bed and then come out and play the kind of game they played early in the season? Uh, right. If they get to the goal line, if they get to the goal line enough times, uh, the tush push is going to get them over the edge. But they've got to get to the goal line, and uh, so we're going to have to wait right. and see. And the fact is, Roy said they they scheduled that game for Monday night. There's a reason they schedule for Monday night because it's probably going to be the best game of the weekend. Sure. Yeah. Hey, listen, I think uh, we're all set now. Randy, are you there? Uh, Roger, I am here. Okay. Well, uh, listen, uh, the, the Don Henderson, Frank Carroll, uh, Randy Lytle, and I have been uh, friends uh, since we were on active duty uh, in Washington at Naval Security Group headquarters in 1968. Uh, we've done a lot of things. I've been to a lot of Randy's baseball games, <laughs> you know, and uh, so I, w- I wanted to have him on tonight because he was uh, honored for being a high school coach at two schools in Northern Virginia for over 50 years. And uh, Randy, we, it, we're really happy you're with us. I'm Don Henderson, uh, big baseball guy, uh, legendary Hall of Fame Announcer played baseball at uh, Texas, and uh, the I know he can relate. We all can relate uh, to uh, what you've been through and some of the things uh, that you have done uh, as a high school coach uh, to be able to do that for over 50 years. Congratulations. Oh, thank you very much, and uh, Happy New Year to everybody, and thank you for having me on the show. Right. Give me a little. Give me a little bit of an idea. Now we talked about fifty years at only two schools. 
Was, did it balance out evenly, 25 and well, 25? Well, 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 actually, well, actually, actually, Roger is uh, is uh, extending things a little bit. I uh, I retired he always from does. the federal. It's just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's his nature. Federal, I retired from the federal government in 2002, and uh, since I've had a tremendous, tremendous passion for the game of baseball, I said, uh, "What would I like to do?" I said, "You know what? Giving high school coaching." Uh, a shot would would be it, it sounds good to me. So I went online to the DC Men's Senior Baseball League, of which I've been a member for over 20 years, and I saw that there was an opening at Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology in Alexandria, Virginia. So I got in touch with the uh, the head coach, and he gave me the interview in 2002, and he brought me on as an assistant. So I was an assistant there from 2002 through 2005. Then uh, he wanted to spend time with his family, so he took a sabbatical. I became the head coach in 2006, 2007. Uh, Unfortunately, after a very successful season in 2007, the athletic director said to me, well, you know what, you put us on the map, you did a great job, but I'm bringing someone else in here to relieve you as head coach. And Roger should remember this because there was a write-up in the Washington Post of which he responded saying, you know what, Coach Lytle got the shaft. It shouldn't have been that way, but wherever he's going to go, he'll probably have some success. Right. Well, a job that popped up was Jeb Stewart High School in Falls Church, Virginia. So I, I did some inquiries, and it just so happened that everyone I talked to said, Coach Lytle, you don't want to go there. You just don't want to do it. You have very few ball players to choose from. Their record was 10 wins and 118 losses. Uh, when, when I interviewed for the job, I got the job, and I said, I don't know if I want to take this job. And my wife said to me, you know what? If you could turn around the life of one kid at that school, it's well yeah. worth you taking it. So I took the position in 2008, and I've been there ever since as the head coach. But, you know, Randy, you played so much baseball, you know, and, and organized leagues because I saw you, you know. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. I started yeah. out. It, I, I blame it. I blame it all, all of this stuff, my passion for the game on my dad, because in 1955, he took me to my first baseball game. Being a Chicago Cubs fan, we sat there and they had a third baseman by the name of Randy Jackson who was formerly of the Dodgers and then with the Cubs for a while. And all of a sudden, there's the guy with my namesake. That is my team. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I changed I changed my uh, interest from Randy Jackson to Ernie Banks. I think I made the right decision there. Yeah, then, you know, uh, that's, I play, go ahead. that was the first year I, I, I went to a Phillies game. It was 1955. How about unbelievable? It's, it is, so, yeah. So I played Little League. I played Pony League. I played uh, two years in high school. They dropped our football team at St. Ignatius High School in Chicago because they were so bad, and they uh, instituted baseball. And then uh, I went into the Navy. You and I served together at the Naval Security Station in uh, 1968. Got out of the Navy and started playing a lot of softball. And then all of a sudden, after 10 years of playing softball, 15 years, someone said to me, well, you know, they've got a men's senior baseball league called Ponce de Leon. I said, oh, sounds good. I went and played with them, and I still play with them. I'm a catcher. I'm 77 years old, and I'm still playing baseball. (laughs) There you go. uh, Yep, and then uh, I'm also 
playing baseball for the uh, D.C. Men's Senior Baseball League, of which they elected me to their Hall of Fame back in 2022, which I'm very, very proud of. But uh, I've been involved in baseball, setting up men's senior teams, coaching them. I coached girls. I coached, I don't know if you know this, but I coached girls basketball at Jeb Stewart for eight consecutive years as an assistant. So not only have I had my fingers in uh, coaching high school baseball, but I've been coaching girls basketball as well for actually a long, long time. I did CYA back in the 70s. Uh, so I've got, I've got a history of coaching because I love it so much, and I have a tremendous passion for the game. Well, I'll tell you, I told Randy uh, fellows about Bill Matthews. Wouldn't it be great to have a, uh, during a baseball season, of having Randy and Bill on together about the uh, their exploits in uh, baseball? But, you know, uh, you know, today I think that, you know, what you did is, is really a, a wonderful thing. I know here I am, uh, I, uh, I came home to do the show because I was going to uh, – Try to do it uh, over at the middle school where I where I sub most of the time because yeah. the girls basketball teams were playing. I did get to see the seventh grade team, and uh, you know when when you're around kids every day, it makes you young because you have to keep on thinking, uh, you know, about what they're doing. Okay, and you know, and and sometimes having the discipline. Okay. And uh, and I'm sure you feel the same way because you've been around uh, kids. I guess my daughter uh, was coaching at uh, at Woodrow Wilson when you were uh, doing girls basketball because she did that until '09 when she got married and moved. But yep. uh, so that was. Randy, all let me ask early. you this, Randy. And, uh, when what made your decision when you gave that horrendous record of the second school that you were going to? Your wife said, well, maybe you'll get one person that you're really going to help out of it. But uh, you had to go in with trepidation because obviously the school had lost so many games, it was almost impossible to calculate. Yeah, there was huge trepidation on my part when I took that position. But, uh, you know, once I took it, though, and I got a couple good coaches in there because the coaches that had been there for the uh, previous years, they all hit the road. I, uh, I've been surrounding myself with outstanding coaches. And granted, we struggled for a couple seasons, but then all of a sudden things started to change. What makes it unique at, uh, at Justice High School, it's now Justice, they changed it from Jeff Stewart. What makes it unique is the ethnicity surrounding that school. They are mostly Latinos, but not from the Dominican Republic, although I have had a couple of kids from the Dominican Republic play that were just outstanding. Middle Easterners, Asians, uh, a handful of African Americans, and uh, and I'm going to say Caucasians, but I only get maybe 30 to 40 kids come out for both teams every year, JV wow. and varsity. And I've had to try and put them together, and I've once again, there are teams in our district that don't have JVs anymore because of lack of interest in the ethnicity surrounding the school. But uh, I have battled through that, and we've had successful seasons. Uh, let's see. Last year, I won my 150th game, and uh, so I've had some success. And they always want me back, which makes me feel good. But the, the key to my, the key to my success is surrounding myself with outstanding coaches former college players, uh, my pitching coach right now, 
uh, pitched at the University of Virginia. He's 60 years old, but he's outstanding. I've got a couple kids that uh, played for me in the past few years, come back to coach my JV squad and on my varsity. So, yeah, it started out horrific, but I battled through that, got myself some good coaches, made sure that the kids were learning what they needed to learn to and to stay positive because I would say to them, you know what, uh, we just got uh, we just got whipped. We just got routed in five innings, 15 to one. Well, let's forget about that. Let's think of what we can do to improve, and let's move on to the next game. So that's Randy Lytle has been our special guest this segment, and uh, Roger, we'll get back to you. Uh, you've known Randy for a long, long time, and I'll tell you, it's a very, very interesting career so far. Go ahead. Well, it is, and uh, you were you sent me that uh, email about the uh, player that went to Davidson, and I guess he yep. coached uh, for you for a while. Yeah, but and but the other thing, and I had told Don and Frank about this. I, I thought you had taken him to Florida, but you corrected me, and you and you were right. I forgot it was uh, down to Myrtle Beach. So I've talk taken about to Myrtle that. Beach. Yeah, yeah, ten years. Ten years. We've done it. Did it ten years in a row. COVID put a stop to it, and we started again last year. And I take them down to Myrtle Beach during spring break, and the only money that they need is spending money because I raise enough money through auctions in particular to be able to pay the $8,000 fee where they don't, neither them nor their parents, have to contribute to the program. That's that's amazing, and and what a wonderful thing to do. I give them the exposure of like they're going away for spring training. Don't you agree with that, Don? Well, I no question about it. I, 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 I'll tell you, one of the great things about baseball is that if you get, a, as you mentioned, not only a head coach, but people that surround themselves with people that aren't afraid to, to bring somebody on that even knows even more than they do, and that makes the whole program so much better. I don't care whether it's football, baseball, basketball. You got to be you got to be confident enough in yourself to bring people in that can really help you with your program. That's my belief, Randy. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely correct. And what's very very interesting about that is the uh, the first coach that hired me into his program at Thomas Jefferson was one of the most astute baseball guys I've ever met before, had a tremendous reputation in the state of Virginia, particularly as a hitting coach. And when he left, it just so happens that when I got the job at Jeb Stewart, I said, well, you know what? He's been with his kids now for four or five years. I got in touch with him, and he actually came back as one of my assistant coaches. There you go. Uh, that's uh, That's terrific. You know, we uh, we talk about, uh, you know, football. We were talking earlier with Roy Cummings, and uh, we talk, uh, we'll talk we uh, talk later with, about Ron Rivera. Uh, getting to it with the NFL, what was your opinion about Ron Rivera being let go? Well, you know what? Uh, I think Ron Rivera was up against it. I have a warm spot in my heart for Ron Rivera because he was part of my 1985 world champion Chicago Bears. Yeah. So one and <laughs> there only, you go. Yeah. Yeah. So so I always I always had a tremendous amount of respect for him. Uh, you know, I, I'm not one of those guys that knows what goes on behind the scenes, but uh, it, it it really didn't surprise me nor anyone else, including Ron Rivera, that they let him go. Well, you know, you get new ownership, things are uh, are going to change, and uh, 
Uh, I know uh, Roy Cummings is a big Cubs fan that was on with us every week earlier. And yes. uh, you're a big Cubs fan. You got, uh, what, number one fan on your Virginia plate, as I recall, something like oh, that. Oh, yes. And I, went to, and I went to the Chicago Cubs fantasy camp that uh, Randy Hundley runs back in 1991 and met a very – walked into the hotel – walked into the bar and met a very, very unique individual by the name of Joe Tuffetone. There you go, Don. I told you you met him. The The Yankee nemesis. Quite the character. He had his his, uh, full wig on at the time, uh, but when he went out to the field, he didn't wear it. But around the hotel and in the bar, he was always uh, had, had his hair. (laughs) (laughs) He was always a character He had that blower in the Yankee clubhouse I think he was the first one to have one To the Yankee clubhouse uh, He was was a character from day one Yeah Yeah. They they talked about him And and he even talked about his blow dryer That he had in the clubhouse (laughs) Right Uh, I'll tell you Things have changed well, you know, yep. you're going to be uh, starting practice uh, for baseball coming up. Uh, how does the team uh, look going into the 24 season? Uh, I'm always optimistic. Last year, I, most of the people told me we were lucky to play 500 baseball. We won 12 games, lost nine, and uh, my peers uh, voted me coach of the year. And, oh, uh, we, congratulations. Thank you. We finished third in our district. I was very happy. So I'm optimistic. I got, I've got six seniors on my team, which uh, really, really helps. My question is going to be pitching. Now, you'll find this very interesting. I've got a kid that throws with both hands. Wow. He pitches lefty and righty. Now, the only thing that I don't know about that is they've got pitch count rules in the state of Virginia and most states now to protect young players' arms. So I don't know how these rules apply to someone that pitches or throws so many pitches with his right hand and maybe gets to that limit, and then you say, okay, he's going to pitch left-handed now. So that is something that I'm going to have to do some investigating. So Now, being uh, ambidextrous yeah. like that, well, being ambidextrous like that, is he more effective right-handed or left-handed? Uh, he's a freshman and he has trouble throwing strikes either side. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but so he's developing. We're going to have to, we're, we're going to have to develop him, but I, and he, he hits right-handed. So he's not a switch hitter, but he is a switch thrower and he's got that unique glove that he could put it on one hand and then switch it over to the other. Well, it'll be interesting to follow uh, a young man like that, you know, to see uh, oh, if he absolutely. can develop and, and get into the uh, the strike zone. But, uh, you know, I, some, some, a, a situation like that doesn't uh, rise that often. The, yeah. uh, the, the, the When do you start uh, practice? Because I know that, uh, well, for instance, down here, they're getting ready for practice right now in Georgia. We you know, start we start practice on President's Day, which is the third okay. week in February. But you'll find this interesting. Uh, up until about six or seven years ago, you were not allowed to practice with your team uh, unless you had one-third of those guys were on other ball clubs or other schools. They changed that, and now we have what we call, they have what we call green days. And green days are off-season days 
where you're allowed to go and practice on the field anything that you want to do, infield, outfield, hitting, you name it. So our green days are Tuesdays and Thursdays. Yesterday was a wash. Tomorrow it's supposed to be 57 degrees. I expect my kids to be out there so we can practice. What's the dominant team in your conference? Yeah. So there are, we've got uh, we've got eight teams in our uh, conference, and then uh, at the end of the end of regular season play, where you play each team twice, then it's broken down by seedings, who's got to who's got to buy, who's going to play whom, and it's uh, one and done. But in, interesting in Virginia, all teams make the regionals, but it, and that's beyond the next step after the districts. But you're also one and done in the regionals. So we've made the regional several times, but we've never been able to get past that first game. Randy, what uh, effect does uh, travel uh, baseball uh, have on on high school baseball today? Is it good or bad? I know we hear about AAU basketball, especially with the boys. Yeah, you know, you know I have no problem with travel baseball at all because I feel that if I've got uh, – Kids that are playing a lot of baseball, that only makes them better as long as those travel baseball ca- uh, coaches don't burn their arms, which uh, has been the case in, on several occasions. Because mm-hmm. I don't believe that travel baseball has the limitations on pitch count like the state of Virginia or other states have. So, uh, I think I, you're I see, right. I see, yeah. I see good things. I see bad things. But the travel baseball is not a problem until they want to use my field, which is, the only all-turf field in Northern Virginia. Oh, really? Yes, I, had, I got it. It was installed 10 years ago. And my goodness, how I had no problem giving up the rakes, the drags, the shovels, the water <laughs> pumps, any of that stuff. Now that right. I've got this field that I, we can play on anytime, and it'll rain like a son of a gun an hour before the game, and by the time it's dry. Yep. Randy, will the travel teams protect your pitchers? That's, that's the biggest problem with travel in, in the Northeast. <laughs> you have to have coaches that are going to protect the pitchers of the schools, you, like you, you mentioned. You, you, you go to the regionals, yeah. for, and you only have one really outstanding pitcher, and he's used in a travel game. You're out of business. Yeah. Well, that's the, the one thing about that, though, is travel baseball does not affect when our games are being played. So, in other words, I don't have a situation where I've got a player who's on a travel team who's also playing varsity baseball. Okay. Yeah, because my granddaughter playing softball uh, had a uh, a middle school game in the morning, which I saw, and then she had a couple of uh, travel games in the afternoon and evening, which I saw. And, uh, you know, and she played not – she's not a pitcher. She did a little bit of pitching, not much. But she yeah. played in 100 softball games in 2023. And uh, that's – that you know, and, and she's a seventh grader now. Yeah. So that was sixth, seventh yeah. grade. But baseball, I think, you know, on the arms, let's face it, takes a much more on the arm than softball does, you know, oh, with does. even a fast pitcher. Yes, There's no doubt about it. So, I'm wondering if I, I'm wondering if because uh, we don't have much time left, but I wrote I wrote down some of the highlights of my career as a base, high school baseball coach, and I was wondering if I could share that with you. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Now, unfortunately, the first uh, highlight for me is the week after the tragedy at Virginia Tech, 
And uh, we had, because those games were canceled that week in April of 2007, we had to play three the next week. So in the first game that we played, it just so happens that uh, my pitcher, the first pitch he throws, we're the home team, is hit over the fence. And they, I said, you've got to be kidding me, first pitch of the game. Well, it just so happens that he comes up in the bottom of the seventh and he is to walk off home run on the last pitch of the game. So we've got the same guy involved in the first pitch and the last pitch. Then I had a brother and sister pitch for me in the same high school baseball game. Casey and Kelly Duncan, and I tried to get in touch with Sports Illustrated, and I sent them an email but never got any response because I don't think there are many times you'll get a brother and sister pitching the same inning of the same game. Yeah. Then I was part of uh, I was part of a perfect game by one of my pitchers, and uh, he went he went wound up going to Haverford, in uh, Pennsylvania. Oh, Haverford and College, then, yeah. Yeah, and then I had another guy. We played a team in our district that won thirty seven regular season games in a row. It was that team's senior night, and he pitched a three hitter and shut them down. 15-1 to 1 for their first loss after 37 consecutive Roger, games. we have to close this segment yeah. out, Roger. Yep. Okay. okay, Randy, thanks okay. so much. Con- continued success. Uh, look forward to talking to you, okay? Thanks Great very much. God bless. Everybody and, and thanks for the opportunity for me to sell my program. Okay, thank oh, you. It's great Take having you on, Randy. Randy. Thank you very, very much. Okay, Take care. you're very welcome. Trevor Bosso is next up, a young man that uh, we had on a number of times during the course of last year because he follows not only the NFL football, but we're about ready to turn the corner on a new season. And uh, so, first of all, Trevor, welcome back to the show this year. And how's the new season going to affect the new league? Uh, I think it's going to be very interesting. I was initially disappointed with the news I heard, but um, after the first draft of this new league, it was a dispersal draft a couple of days ago. Uh, I saw the the quality of talent uh, that's being able to be capitalized in this league. Um, when both leagues last year struggled with having a few clubs being just absolutely terrible, now we're going to have one entity full of teams that are full of really good players. Um, guys that were making the all XFL and all USFL teams and even guys that were, um, you know, in practice squads and in NFL camps this during this season, even as well. Now, Trevor, we had Vince Papali's son on a couple of times that uh, they got off to a shaky start last year, but that came on strong. Where does he stand now? On this off season for spring ball, um, he was picked up by the new Orleans breakers. That team was folded. But in the dispersal draft, the team that had him for two years picked him back up, rightfully so. So he's back on the Memphis Showboats with one hell of a quarterback in Case Cookis, who was amazing for the Philadelphia Stars, also a team that folded. Um, But Case Cookis on the Memphis Showboats is going to be something to watch. Well, you know, I did not know, to be honest with you, about this uh, change until I saw the Fox commercial. Uh, what is it, the uh, UFC, right, United Football League? Am I right about that? Yeah, it's the USL. UFL, okay. 
And uh, I had no idea. Now, how many teams are going to be in this new league? Because I thought the USFL was on its way uh, to a, a lot of success, and I was shocked. Definitely a shocker, but there's going to be eight teams in this league. Um, there's going to be two conferences, the USFL conference and the XFL conference. And how about the television? Oh. Do they have a television contract again? Oh, they're they're hooked up with pretty much all the big dogs this upcoming year. They, they're with ESPN, NBC, and Fox. I mean, this is going to be really well marketed, probably better than both of the leagues combined. Um, they got a lot of money and a lot of big names. Um, Heinz Ward was let go as the San Antonio uh, head coach. Wade Phillips was put back in, rightfully so, in my opinion. Um, Todd Haley was fired, thank God, from the showboat. So now Benny Papali will actually have a good coach. Um, and they won't start out terribly like they did last year um, and having to rely on a late win uh, stretch in the season. So I, I'm really just excited for the, uh, like I said, the, the amount of quality talent that is now being condensed and forced to compete in this eight-team league, which hopeful, we're hopeful for expansion, but that's not something I want to talk about for the next two years. We still need to make sure spring ball works in general. Um, you look at the Super Bowl numbers for viewership, and then you look at the championship game for any you know spring league. They're nowhere near each other, uh, rightfully so. Obviously, one being the NFL a monopoly in a sense, and other leagues battling for that spotlight. But this is honestly the first real chance I'm seeing. Well, it's in the name United Football League. It's literally a United Spring League. All the big names from spring ball are going to be there. It's going to be something to watch. I mean, we got former first-round draft picks in there, Reuben Foster. Out of Bama, I mean, Bo Scarborough is going to still pick up the pads again. I mean, there's some big names in there and some just exciting things to look forward to, in my personal opinion. Vinny Papali, obviously being a, a guy I'm looking out for, obviously, but I think he'll do wonders on the Memphis show. But they really revamped, and that's a team that really turned it around in this draft. And they they actually got a new uh, head coach, the former head coach of the Breakers last year. His name's Todd Delfipio. Uh He's a really, really good character, good leader. He was battling with some uh, health issues last year. Surprisingly enough, he was able to walk around. I know it was uh, something with blood thinning. I don't want to misquote it or be wrong with that, with, with that information, but I know he was uh, going through a lot and still getting this opportunity. Skip Holtz um, trying to get uh, Alex Magoo back. Hopefully Magoo will uh, return after the NFL season. He's been quarterback three on the Green Bay Packers this year. Um, and then you talk about guys that have made an immediate impact, Cavante Turpin and Brandon Aubrey on the Dallas Cowboys. Don't like the Cowboys, but two hell hell of a ball player. Um, Brandon Aubrey's been automatic as their kicker. Cavante Turpin has been electric with the ball in his hands. So fast, so versatile in a sense. Um, and they both came out of the USFL. It shows that spring ball can develop and produce high-quality talent, NFL-caliber talent, but we just got to see the consistency with an actual fan base for the league and for the teams. And they chose the right ones, so I, I'm excited, and I think uh, everyone out there listening should be too. Roger, you know, are they going to play at uh, like they did initially, just in Birmingham, or are they going to be playing in their home city? And that's number one. Uh, and number t- uh, two is: uh, uh, is the ownership the same as the USFL, uh, or is it all new ownership? Uh, to answer your first question, every team will be playing in the respective cities. Um, that's why, you know, you can look at the map and geographically, each team location makes sense for travel costs, 
uh, three teams in Texas alone. So it's going to be very, uh, very well managed. I think they're going to be trying to using that uh, USFL business model of trying to, you know, be cost efficient and, and making sure that the production value and the play on the field is where the money is showing. But um, in terms of ownership, I know it's a mix of former USFL executives and XFL executives. Um, Daryl Johnson and The Rock have both been kind of making speeches during games, you know, during the college season, The Rock was hyping this up. So kind of a collective effort from everyone that was involved um, from each league. So I, I'm excited to see the brains being put together there. I just hope that Redbird Capital and Disney is out because they kind of seem to ruin everything they touch. But um, it, it's one of those things where it's really going to come down to like I said, the consistency of, of viewership, if they can average over a million viewers a game this season and, and hold that firmly and then get to like a 5 million marker for the championship or the playoffs, like it's going to do wonders. They they kept Seattle. Oh, no, they, they, they folded the Seattle team from the XFL, but they kept St. Louis, excuse me. And St. Louis was filling out their stadiums. Over 70,000 people were showing up to those games. So it's one of those things where the in-person audience is key, but marketing it on you know cable and all that's going to also be a huge factor and based on the success of the usfl i really do believe that the marketing won't be a problem it's just really going to come down to will this long shot if you will of this merger work and you know that's going to be remained to be seen and the opening game is between the two former champions of each league so arlington renegades will be taking on the birmingham stallions in arlington so that's something to look out for on march 30th so less than 90 days so Definitely keep your uh, calendars, you know, locked in there. Several you're talking about playing in their home uh, facility uh, this year as opposed to Birmingham last year. Uh, what is the roster size? What is the taxi cab size? Because that determines how much money you're going to be spending to take your team on the road. So the roster limit is 75 players. And, 75 um, players. Draft. Wow. Yes. So – each team should have 75 players. And in the dispersal draft, it pretty much – no team is – there's a couple teams with the same amount of players, but every team is rocking mid-60s right now. There's one more draft actually coming up on January 15th to get more contract-protected players from each league that haven't been picked up. And they're also going to be getting, they're, they're also going to be getting college uh, undrafted, you know, guys out of Division two, guys that are just wrapping up their season, looking to hop in and sign a contract because – you know, this is a league where it's a stepping stool up to that next, you know, that next level. Um, and it's going to be a, a big deal to get youth injection into this league. We need new names, younger players, guys that, you know, are well-deserved of the spotlight to get them to the NFL. But that's like a big part of the development process as well, because if we keep getting, you know, former NFL guys, that's really cool, awesome, big names, but to develop players. That's the main goal of spring ball. You want to, you want to be able to put on a good show, put on a good product first and foremost, but the underlying priority is definitely player development and especially guys like Cavante Turpin, you know, Brandon Aubrey, uh, Maurice Alexander. There's so many names I could name guys that are still on NFL rosters today. Davion Davis, Caden Davis, so many guys and uh, so many guys that actually still deserve it that, you know, there's only 1500 slots in the NFL for a player. You know, you have a set amount. This league, this time frame in the year where there's no football on, gives these guys such a great opportunity to get exposure to to these scouts, to different teams. Hell, you can go up to the CFL, get get six digits a year if you want. 
the EFL in Europe that's slowly emerging. Football is it's getting places and growing in different areas of the world and different times of the year. And it's good to see that, you know, the States are, we're going to have our own kind of thing going um, while these other you know countries and places get to enjoy it. You know, when we are normally attuned to NFL football, hopefully this will be a, a good replacement in the time where, you know, we don't get that. Roger. Yeah. Is it the, you just mentioned like the uh, European league, is it uh, American players uh, going over there or uh, are uh, European uh, players developing there? Uh, because, you know, we've seen it in baseball for years and years that uh, American players go to Korea, they go to Japan. I know they even went to Australia to play. And uh, I was just wondering, is that the way the Europe uh, League is developing uh, with American players predominantly or is it European-born uh, players, if you know that? It's it's a bit of both. Um, there's definitely some development there for sure. Even guys that have come over to the USFL and XFL have come from the EFL. They got that on their resume. It's not this big, big thing just yet. Um, it's pretty much the equivalent of the AFL, if you will. But, you know, for people over in Europe that, that love American football that, you know, maybe went to the games in Germany this year, that maybe went to the Britain games, there's there's big things there that are untapped. And, I mean, that's a whole continent and so much more exposure of, you know, talent. I mean, why wouldn't you want to get more and more development for players all over the world? You see it with, with football, and a.k.a. soccer over here. But those guys, those those teams, those leagues recruit from everywhere. And I feel like that's the one thing that, you know, maybe American football has been missing a little bit because there's still there's some actual football players all over the world that don't maybe know it yet. Um, EFL is a great way to, you know, get that opportunity as well. I don't really cover it as much as I should, but – it is a little bit underwhelming when it comes to, you know, when you're watching the offense, it looks a little weird. Like you're watching a CFL game with three downs instead of four, but it's, uh, it's definitely interesting for sure. But the, the big, the big name, the big draw for the NFL, especially in the off season where scouts are going to start being allocated to, um, and you can, you can mark it here now, but it's going to be the USL. There's some big, big names in terms of still young guys, like still younger players, like 24, 25, um, and even veteran-esque players in this league that could come in and, and make a little bit of an impact, create depth on a, on a poverty-esque NFL team like the Falcons or, you know, the Seattle Seahawks or the Titans fired their head coaches. You're going to want to make your own name as a head coach and a GM especially. Like, start looking at this. I mean, I don't like Jerry Jones. I don't like the Cowboys. I'm, I'm biased with them, but I got to give them credit. They looked at this springtime ball and they found the best players for their team. And, one of them is in his rookie year, technically Brandon Aubrey, their kicker made a pro bowl. And I think he made all pro like that's insane. And then Kevante Turpin, who's just been electric for him and more involved. But I, I just think that's priceless. I think that um, guys making 70 to 120 grand a year and you get to see them play in a 10 week season plus, you know, the, the postseason and championship game. And if they emerge and show that they have a skill set for something that you need on special teams, that you need on your practice squad or your scout team, they're immediately upgrading. They're getting six figures, over 200 grand a year on the, on the lowest form of a squad. I mean, and if they stick and if they, you know, an injury occurs and they make an impact on the field, I mean, that's... that's Trevor, before we run out of time, uh, give, us a, give us a thought on what you think of the, of the Bucks and the Eagles coming up this Monday night. 
Bucks and Eagles. I don't want to upset my mom and pops because you know, I uh, you know I, I love them to death, and I, I want the Eagles to succeed. But uh, their their last month of the regular season was absolutely horrific. Uh, and honestly, the Bucks didn't finish on a strong note either. Their final two weeks looked a little rough, but you know it, it's going to be one of those things where it's the second time in three years these two teams have met in the wild card round of the playoffs. Just for mom and pops, I'm going to take the Eagles, but don't be surprised if it's a little bit of an upset from Baker Mayfield. He's fighting for a contract extension, so that's what my that's what my thoughts go to on that game. Roger, I'm going to let you and well, Frank wind up yeah, the show. I'm, I'm, I'm going to call it. I'm going to call it yeah, a night I'm... for tonight. I'll let you guys take it over. Great talking okay. with you again, Trevor, and best of luck with the new league. Take care. Yes, sir. You too. Take care. Trevor, uh, the uh, that's a, a good point. See, I feel the same way you do. I don't see how the Eagles can rebound after this disastrous period. I mean, uh, it, it just doesn't happen. Uh, and now maybe it will, and and we may be wrong, but I don't see it happening. So uh, we'll just if have a, to uh, wait and see. If there's a quarterback to do it, it's Jalen Hurts. Well, that's right. But I think he's been injured more than we know he's been injured, to be honest with you, because I don't see him running like he did in the past. And you see some of the other uh, running quarterbacks, you know, they just seem to be much stronger uh, in their runs and and less hesitant. But, you know, we'll just have to see. So, uh, uh, Frank, uh, uh, you tell me uh, the um, is uh, is Mike coming up next, or uh, yeah, can we stay with next, Trevor? He's or? not on yet. Yeah, he won't be. Yeah, we're he's not on yet. Till, till twenty after. Yeah, hey, Trevor. Uh, okay, I got a great. question for you. Uh, uh, I know, and you just touched on one of the things that both Mom and I have been talking about. Um, Hurts. Um, I'm saying going on, go back all the way back three weeks ago seemed to have uh, either pulled a groin muscle or just the way he was his, uh, his gait was off, totally off. Uh, his throwing was totally off. So it, it seems to me that there's something on that left side. I'm sorry. Yeah, on his left side that uh, no isn't working. Do you have any idea? You're not going to like my answer or any Eagles fan won't. But you can draw down to the play on the field, but what I'm seeing more than anything is lack of execution by play calling. I think coaching is the problem. Oh, on second right. and eight, oh, I calling, agree with that. Uh, halfback <laughs> yeah. throws. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's what, what are they doing? I mean, Nick Sirianni definitely needs to be put in check. He needs to revamp his, his playbook. Their OC mm-hmm. is lackluster. They're not calling the correct plays. But I really do believe if they get back to the fundamentals, using that O-line, which is the best O-line in football when playing 100%. There's no injuries on that O-line. They should not be using that as an excuse. Get your running backs in a committee in this playoff game and use a triple-head attack. Use all your running backs on the roster. Run the ball 15 to 25 times in this game. Let Jalen Hurst throw it less than 25 times. Let him just, you know, get mm-hmm. outside the pocket, do little, you know, safety valve dump-off passes, and then just execute that way. This Buccaneers defense has gaps. It has lackluster talent, so, you know, in, in the back um, in the backfield. I really do believe mm-hmm. Devontae Smith, if he's ready to go and healthy, I think he can expose, you know, what we've – or well, at least what I've been noticing all season long, that Antoine Winfield Jr. can't do it alone back there. So it's going to be right. something along the lines of, can Nick Sirianni call a game of his life? 
with injuries at the most important positions. And, you know, if he can't, then, I mean, we just saw Mike Rabel get fired. We just saw Pete Carroll get fired. Teams are revamping, restarting, and they don't care. They don't care what the fans think. They want different. They want a difference. They want an impact. And if he blew the last month of the season and a wild-card playoff game against the Buccaneers, who, let me just say this, people thought were nothing before the season, then that's something right. on Nick Sirianni, not on Jalen Hurts, in my personal opinion. Jalen right. Hurts has put it all on the field this year, a second in a row, 10-1 mm-hmm. season, and then it fell apart at mm-hmm. the end, obviously. But it's nothing, um, it's nothing, in my personal opinion, on Jalen Hurts. It's a team game, quite obviously. But Nick Sirianni needs to be questioned, first and foremost. Yeah, the fact that he uh, he cussed out his, his assistant coaches on on camera, as a matter of fact, and the last two games did not uh, go well. So you can see there's there is problems in the clubhouse uh, that they're going to have to deal with face to face. The other thing is uh, I don't know if you saw it or not, but it came out late today that the OC from uh, from the Eagles has now applied for the um, uh, Washington job. So uh, and that goes and you know what's funny? the owner of Washington. Yeah, probably won't. Yeah, yeah. Did, Let me ask did, you something. Did they allow it? Did he? Did it, they, Lori allow it at this stage? Oh yeah, he allowed it. Mm-hmm. He's going down next week and yeah. uh, an interview for it. But uh, okay, so uh, you you know that he's more interested in that job than he and in interviewing for that than he is for being the OC right. for the Eagles. That's what worries me about Sunday's game. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And Same as Shad, 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 the last out. year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. That, that, the, the, the whole team is in chaos, okay? And it starts with Sirianni. You know, he lost the team. The other thing is why they ever brought Matt Patricia in, I will never figure that out. I, yeah, yeah, so you know, Belichick was the one. Yeah, Belichick was calling the plays for New England, not him. Okay? Yeah. And then he was a disaster in Detroit. Trevor, what's your thoughts on that one? Matt Patricia, I mean, you guys hit it right on the head there. He's he's terrible. I mean, anything he touches turns to a dumpster fire. He ruins it. He set Detroit back for eight years. Like, he's Mm -hmm. bad. And the fact that he's even near Jalen Hurts is very concerning. I don't want him anywhere near my all-pro, my all-star quarterback, nor do I want him near any of my playmakers. This guy, uh, I, I, I don't really know what else to say other than the fact, how did he get into that building? Who, who opened mm-hmm. the door for him? He is, he is really bad. And I mean, the fact that, like you said, the OC is applying for jobs at Washington. At Washington? Mm-hmm. What do you think? It's... <laughs> That team sucks. Yep, yep. So the fact that you're yep. going to jump off a team that was just in a Super Bowl, or I'm not saying he's jumping mm-hmm. off, but he's you know applying for a job already when the season's not even done. Yeah. Uh, that's concerning. Yeah. That's that's saying that you know something's yeah. sour in there. You know. Yeah. Let me just say something a little colloquialized here. Uh, now you know two people that uh, that are currently have had a lot of uh, uh, local press. Uh, uh, Jack McKinnon, which uh, used to play for us at the uh, at the East Manatee Bulldogs uh, had a had a great season at uh, uh, Cardinal Mooney last year and, and uh, is a starting well is supposed to be a starting uh, wide receiver with uh, with uh, our linebacker rather at uh, um, 
Michigan. Uh, what's, what's your wow. thoughts on that one? The second one is what about Javante um, um, uh, leaving FIU and going to uh, Colorado? Well, I'll definitely touch on, on that. McKinnon, I know that, you know, my little brother's played Pop Warner ball with him. Um, congrats to you out there if you're listening somehow, some way, some shape, or some form, bro. And congrats on the championship, beating out Washington like that. But then, obviously, Jamonte uh, committing to uh, Colorado, I believe, like you said. But, I mean, that's just a, a no-brainer, honestly. If you want to go get a spotlight, if you want to go get – um, recognition immediately by NFL scouts, by the national media. You're going to want to go be. You're, you're going to want. You're going to want to get coached by Deion Sanders. He is a icon to so many people. A, a very, very, you know, charismatic guy. A, a leader, definitely. Um, and he's had some decent success at Colorado so far, and looking to improve upon. So, I think it's really awesome. Uh, you know, that 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 happened. Excuse my tongue tied. Uh, words there, but you know that's really cool to see people from the area and people that you maybe ran into and you played some old ball with, you know, out there competing at the highest level and you know making a name for themselves. It's always something good to see. It you know kind of warms the heart. Yeah, well, you played with Javante yeah, well, at, uh, at the Bulldogs when we had the Bulldogs. Uh, oh, you mean pit bulls, eight on eight in spring? Uh, pit bulls, rather, yeah. Yeah. That was a fun time. I remember he was fast. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah, well, I, I think we'll lot, know. But... I think we'll know about uh, the success at Colorado with uh, Prime uh, in a couple of years. When uh, it won't be players that uh, came with him. Uh, what was it, Jackson State, right? And uh, right. where you know it'll it'll be his uh, team of recruiters. Uh, and getting out there, and it, it won't be any history. It'll be all forward, looking ahead, not you know behind. But and I think and I think he'll be successful if he wants to be. Right. You know, he may right. after a couple of years. You know, he may say, you know, that's enough. I don't know. You know, right. time will time will tell. Do you agree with that, Frank? Yeah, I do. I I don't think I think he started off. Uh, pretty hot because he, everybody had this playbook down, the, the, their team, but none of the other teams did. Yeah. After the third team, everybody realized, after their game, everybody realized what he was playing, how he was doing it, and he was done. Uh, mm-hmm. I do give him credit in that he didn't explode on the kids, at least on the field. But uh, that, that's exactly what I expected. That, you know, he doesn't take uh, I would like negative to- uh, publicity very well. So, we, you know, we're right. going to have to close this up. This period out. Trevor, thanks a lot for an excellent job, as you always do. Uh, like I said always before, you Trevor, always do this on a full-time basis. I appreciate you guys. Thank you for having me on. The whole reason I do my podcast and all that is because of you guys. So keep it up, and if you want me on, hey. let me know. Yeah, do thanks, me a favor, Trevor. And, appreciate uh, it. I'll let everybody I learned a lot tonight. Is. Tell everybody what you If you guys want to listen out there, it's on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. It's called Tea Time Reports. Um, we talk about everything from sports to news to film to music. So uh, tune in and enjoy. Thank you, guys. That's great. Great. Thanks. All right. We're ready for Thank uh, you, Trevor. The Baron, the Baron of Washington is, is upon us. 
Mikey, how you doing today? I'm here. How are y'all doing? Yeah. We're doing great. Good. We're great. Happy New Year. Uh, how's Ron Rivera? Christmas Hanukkah to all y'all. Um, <laughs> I hope you're doing good. Um, I had a moment of bad teaching that I'm sure some of y'all could appreciate. I had to teach the mummers. Oh, my goodness. Oh, did you really? All right. All right. Because there was nothing that says New Year's to me like a bunch of union pipe fitters strolling down (laughs) the street in drag playing Led Zeppelin on a string band. (laughs) (laughs) I love it, Mike. You're right. (laughs) <laughs> like that's the only way that I can explain the mummers. <laughs> well, so you you had to teach that today in school, is that right? No, last week I was um last week. Uh, I, I I was trying to explain like what my new year's looked like. There's nothing that means more new year's to me than the mummers. And it is not politically correct. It is not, but it is what it is. Right. Like, there's right. nothing that says New Year's to me, like walking up and down the street and all the mummers come down and everybody in the Philadelphia area. Happy New Year's. I can't explain well, it, but it is a great experience. And if you ever have the opportunity to be out there when they do that, it is just one of the most, it is a fun experience. And there's nothing that says New Year's to me like the Mummers. Well, Mike, I'll tell you, they uh, Channel 69 up in uh, the Lehigh Valley uh, televised it this year. And uh, I had it on my iPad here because I think I had to go to work, uh, you know, later. But uh, I got to tell you, I thoroughly enjoyed it. They did a great job. And, uh, you know, I've seen it live. I've seen it on TV. And uh, Channel 6 did it for so many years. But I'll tell you, Channel 69 had a home run. I mean, they uh, they covered it. And uh, and then you could follow up. You could, you know, replay, uh, you know, if you wanted to. Uh, it was just uh, terrific. But you were right. There is nothing like New Year's Day on Broad Street with the Mummers. I'm sure we all I'm going to tell this story real quick. Um my wife, has, Sonia, has been on a couple of times. You all know her. Um, mm-hmm. The first yeah. time, we were still dating, and I took her up for New Year's, and I said, you're going to see this. You, you don't understand me until you've seen this parade. I kid you not, Roger and Frank. This it is all of 32 degrees outside. We are bundled up. We go out. Yes, we have a couple of adult beverages in our hand. The mm-hmm. big old guy comes down, and he's got nothing but a uh, hoodie on and some cargo shorts. Toast me. <laughs> Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Looks at me. You look like you need a beer. Reaches into his <laughs> cargo pants, pulls out a, a big old Bud Light, like one of those um, – um, doubles. <laughs> Here's it to me. Yeah. Here, take that. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. My job is to turn around this, this piece of the set. 
Well, you you go on and do that. And my wife is looking at me, and she's my my wife to be. And she's looking at me, and she's like, "Is this what normally happens?" I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much how it goes. <laughs> Gentlemen, oh. we were on broad, and uh, uh, we were on broad and locust. They ain't even gotten down to South South Philly by that point in time. Right, right. Uh, well, I can you also tell make... you what's a a wonderful time. Uh, just to uh, tag on that, Mike, for a second. What's a wonderful time is after you watch it in Center City, and you go down to South Philly to like a relative's house, and you go in there, and they have a spread of cold oh. cuts. And, and all Second kinds Street of things. That parade, Roger. You got it. You got it. You know. You know that's where it's at. You got it. It's uh, absolutely. And it can't top it. My we young. We used to, my wife used to drag us up there, and she had a, and a grandmother lived on Second Street. We would go to the parade in, in, in early morning. We did there at six o'clock, whether it was rain, sleet, snow, or shine, still on the curb. At six o'clock, right. take the bus back to Second Street. Then from Second and Market to Seventh and Second and Passchunk, you could stop at any house, go to the bathroom, get a drink, get something to eat, and keep on going. And that's the way it, it yeah. was. Uh, but they're all still that way, you know. Um, it doesn't matter parade. who you are, yep. Frank. And you're right. It doesn't matter who you are, yep. what you look like. Right. If you are Philadelphian, you're welcome. That's right. Well, for the day you are. Yeah. Yes, for, for the day you're Philadelphia. We'll, we'll talk about wife. tomorrow, tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but, uh, all right, Roger, we got to talk sports at some point in time. I know. Well, yeah, listen, yeah. a couple of things. Number one, we, we were talking earlier with uh, Roy about, uh, number one, uh, Nick Saban announcing his retirement and then all the coaches and we want you – because you're there talking about uh, the situation with Ron Rivera. Uh, the consensus is yeah, he's really a, a good coach. Uh, it's the circumstances with the previous owner, now the new owners taking a bull by the horn. So uh, go ahead, and, and then we can talk some soccer, because I have a couple of things to ask you about that. Well... <laughs> Ron Rivera, the personnel guy, let Ron Rivera, the coach, down. And I'm not mm. sure that he can 100% recover from this. Uh, his He had control over all the football operations. And he said, you know, we're going to build a team. The draft picks didn't necessarily hit. Yes, he did not have a quarterback, but on multiple occasions, he had the occasion to say who the quarterback was going to get, going to be, and it didn't work out for him. Uh, I still think that Ron Rivera is a 10-year, and Washington is not going to help him because this is, you know, another four seasons where he did not have a winning season. So Mm -hmm. in his, you know, 12-year coaching tenure, 
He's only had three winning seasons. That's not good. So we will see what goes on from here down in the nation's capital. Um, they put together a really, really cool hiring committee. Bill Myers, uh, the ex-GM uh, of the uh, Golden State Warriors. I love how uh, Josh Harris is looking outside of the box to bring in who he thinks may be the best person to set up the team in D.C. Like, I love how he's thinking outside of the box. That's what we need. Because this franchise down here, as a lot of people down, it's been a rebuilding 25 years. Right. And to be honest, in the NFL, you don't get a rebuilding 25 years. Right. Rick Spielman's on that committee too, right? Rick Spielman's on that committee, too. So is Bob Myers and Rick Spielman were ostensibly heading it up. And yeah, that's what I understand. Yeah, Roger, I mean, Rick Spielman knows the NFL. Bob Myers mm-hmm. knows sports leadership. Right. i got to believe those two guys are going to come up with the right person to lead that team. My hope is that they will choose to write um, vice pre- – I don't know what the title is going to be. President of Football Operations is what I'm going to say. That person is going to have control of all the, the GM, the coach. That person is going to hold uh, – I believe they're going to choose the right person to do that. I also believe that they're going to choose the right coach. Are they going to get the uh, the general manager or the uh, the head of, uh, of football operations first, and then get the coach uh, with his input, or are they just going to go out and get a coach and then get a general manager who can work with the coach? Do you I have any? Think you have no? That it's a lot of um, two concurrent processes going on at the same time. They're going to interview for the GM, um, president of football operations, at the same time that they're interviewing for the coach. And if they're smart, if they get a guy, a person into the room who they really, really like for either one, uh, either position, they're not going to let them leave. Mm-hmm. So uh, Darren Johnson, the coach of – the offensive coordinator for the Detroit Lions. If he comes in and he interviews, even if they haven't hired a uh, GM at that point, if they really like what he says, they're not going to let him leave without a contract. Yeah. And well, yeah, Brian Johnson, to, the OC of the Eagles, Frank said, Mike is is also interviewing next week. Yeah, if they they have a, a a coach that comes in and they haven't hired a GM, but they really really feel strongly that this coach is person, mm-hmm. I believe that they will hire them GM that they may not have found at the moment. Like, yeah, here, like if you look this like this job, this is the guy you got to work with, and it's not the perfect situation, but. That's where we are right now 
in the NFL, when you look at the number of jobs that are available, uh, if you find a coach that you like, you're going to have to get him. Because if you don't, the scrap heap is not as pretty as you think it is. That's right. Could be worse than you had, worse than you were. Mm-hmm. I mean, Roger, uh, the Tennessee Titans letting go Mike Vrabel. Mm-hmm. Do they honestly think that they're going to get a better coach than him? They think so, but I think they're wrong. Yeah. I mean, look at the Falcons, Mike. Perfect example. Arthur Arthur Smith. Smith, Yeah. And he had the same same record uh, three years in a row. Okay. And, you know, I watched his play calling, obviously, more more, uh, in the last, uh, you know, month and a half uh, than I did uh, before. Uh, living up there, but I will say that I was never impressed with his play calling in any game I saw, and it just it just didn't make sense. And I had you know obviously some success, but the other thing is, uh, and we've talked about this many times, they have never had the success in the Mercedes Benz Stadium that they had in the Georgia Dome, and if you look, especially Matt Ryan's record. So, you know, now they're going to go out, Martha Blank, Rich McKay, they're going to go out and get a new coach. But, like you said, is he going to be better or worse than what they've had? Only time will tell. And I think that's with every team, especially Tennessee. They had a great coach. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just have to wait and say, hey, the Eagles may be looking for a new coach if they bomb on Monday night. Uh, uh, what do you think about that, Mike? I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that Jeffrey Lurie, no matter what happens on Monday night, no matter how you feel about what Nick Sirianni has done this year, I don't think Byron him. And I hope they don't. Uh, Lori and, and Roseman have at least proven that even if you have a bad season, a bad season or two, we're going to give you an opportunity to rectify that. And I hope that they do. Everybody deserves a chance to learn from their mistakes. I hate what has happened with the birds in the second half of this season. But I do believe that Nick Sirianni, and as much as I was confused when he first got hired, I want to give him a chance to rectify his wrongs from this season. Well, he's got to get rid of some uh, coaches. Like, Like Patricia never should have been there. We talked about well, that and Trevor Patricia, Frank. Patricia wasn't the defensive coordinator's start. He's got to get some coordinators. He's got to learn from his mistakes. But, Roger, Frank, 
you know that when we were early in our jobs, we might have messed up a time or two. And I would love to think that we got a chance to rectify that and make that right. So my point is, I would love to give Sirianni another season. Now, if he fails next season, I'm fine. But I'm not firing him after this season. It's the same. Think about this. There are people out in western Pennsylvania calling for Mike Tomlin's hit. Yeah. Football's a pretty simple game when you think about it. You play 60 minutes, and somehow Mike Tomlin ends up with a winning record. Every year. I don't know what happens. But if you were, if you promised me every year we're going to have a winning record for the better part of 16 years, I'd take it. How you can conceive of getting well? Yeah, well they've only had they've only had three coaches in what uh, sixty years, more than sixty years. Yeah, and and that tells you you have a coach now who has been there since two thousand seven, and in his entire career since two thousand seven, has never had a losing season. Right, you know, Mike. You know what's interesting. It it is. It's very remarkable, and it shows the stability of a franchise, uh, the, with the family focused on uh, the football operations and winning. Uh, but I think what's interesting about the uh, matchup between uh, the Bills and um, and the Steelers is it's a matchup of uh, uh, two coaches that were roommates at William and Mary. When they, you know, they and they played together. That's uh, that's number one. And uh, the other thing is the weather factor. Uh, I understand in uh, Buffalo is going to be five degrees, but with a minus fifteen uh, chill factor. I don't know about the snow or not, but uh, that is going to be uh, the the uh, a replay of uh, the famous. Uh, what was it? The frozen turf. It wasn't at the Cowboys mm-hmm. and and the uh, Packers many years ago that we remember. Of course, yeah, the young people listening, they, they don't remember that. But if there is one team in the AFC that is prepared to go into Buffalo and deal with that, it's the Steelers. Okay. Well, if listen, Mike, we appreciate it. I wanted to talk to you about soccer. We'll talk about it next week. And uh, have a great week and appreciate it. And take care. Be safe. Thanks, Mike. You too. Great as always. Have a good one. Have a good day. You too. Okay, Doug, uh, the uh, Hamilton, uh, as Don mm-hmm. would say, our resident uh, PGA uh, Tour professional mm-hmm. uh, is yeah, uh, with us uh, from uh, the uh, beautiful uh, city, uh, not because he <laughs> doesn't live there. <laughs> but the state of Maryland, out near Pre- Fredericksburg, and uh, so uh, that, we were just, yeah. you know, talking about the coaches' changes and everything. I don't know if mm-hmm. you heard it or not, but the question is: uh, I mean, I think that uh, after watching, even though they lost, 
watching the Ravens. I think the Ravens are the class of the NFL, not just the AFC. And uh, I picked them uh, to win, and I also picked them to go all the way. Uh, hmm. And what was what's your opinion of that? Uh, well, I, I hope you're not a jinx uh, to, to just preface that. Uh, but <laughs> I've been known um, to be one. So, well, listen. I mean, um, you know, just watching the Ravens play the Steelers. Um, you know, it's a shame that that game had to be played under those conditions with the weather, as well as you know the yeah. fact that Baltimore yeah. was was trying to just you know maybe get a win but also not get anybody hurt um clearly Pittsburgh's was playing for their playoff lives and um you know what it, it it's always um anytime those two teams square off it's always a black and blue kind of a, a concept um you know I, I accurately predicted the score of that unfortunately it was the wrong way um because they're typically you know low scoring games but um Look, the, the the Ravens um with Todd Munkin uh you know kind of engineering their offense to piggyback Greg Roman's running game and then add different levels of the passing game to spread the field out and um you know McDonald's ability to I mean he stifled the 49ers and and we went to uh the Dolphins game and that was just good gravy. I mean 56 points against Miami. They just I mean so I, I still think that the Ravens, and I, I hope that the week that they take off is more beneficial than it is harmful. When they talk about rest versus rust, um, getting people healthy and and having you know some time off, but still, you know, the ability to um, still practice and, and and work on some different things. Um, you know, look, we, we're we're going to square off against the winner of the Browns and uh, Texans. Um, Texans are a pretty upstart team playing at home and. If anybody's paying attention to the betting lines, the Texans are actually um, underdogs uh, at home, which is which is typically not the case. Um, I don't know. I mean, look, I I love Joe Flacco, and I can sit here and tell you that he was he was a great Raven. I loved him as a quarterback. Um, he has one of the most perfect throwing motions of any quarterback, in my opinion, that's ever played. I love how he delivers the football. He's you know big, tall, strong, um, can make any of the throws. So Cleveland. You know, they, they have a very good defense. Um, to be honest with you, as a Ravens fan, I really don't care who we play, but if I had to pick, I'd, I'd rather play Houston than, than Cleveland. Um, mm-hmm. They just have a nasty – they have a nasty defense. And um, what a story, obviously, the media would want to paint having Joe Flacco come back to Baltimore um, as, as a member of the Browns. And, you know, you, you'll see this in a lot of the media. You've got Matthew Stafford going back to Detroit. You've got Mike McCarthy coaching against – the Packers, you know, this is what all this kind of stuff is about. So that obviously uh, fits into that, you know, genie's lamp that, that everybody wants to take a rub of. So um, I, I would agree with you, Roger, based on what you had said. I think that the Ravens um, have proven that they are the class so far. Uh, but the last time this opportunity came about where they got a first week by uh, in the playoffs, they, they laid an egg that, that uh, first game. So um, skeptical yet, you know, let's, let's be hopeful. Well, yeah, I, I agree with that. And the, the uh, when you mentioned Todd Munkin, uh, man, he's uh, uh, high on the list with some mm-hmm. uh, teams from what I hear, you know, on the uh, coaching carousel. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, he's come a long way 
in several yeah. years since he was with Kirby at uh, Georgia. Let me tell you. Well, I mean, I remember when he went on his staff. Well, I mean, let's take it. Let's take. I mean, look, Black Monday is always one of those you know concepts after the season where uh, coaches are. Um, you know, removed from their positions or, or what have you, uh, mutual parting of the ways, if you will, in, in Seattle. But, you know, you might have – I mean, look, Mike Rabel is um, a viable head coach. A great coach. You know, I, I, look, uh, if, if we didn't have Coach Harbaugh here in Baltimore, I'd love a guy like Mike Rabel. He's a um, blue-collar, tough, you know, roughneck kind of guy that, that you would want to have coaching, you know, that style of, of team. Um, you know, you still have some undecideds with some interim guys. Uh, Pierce in in uh, Las Vegas. Um, what's Belichick going to do? Um, so there's a lot of questions that I think that are out there, and, and everybody's searching for the next, um, you know, uh, Stefanski or you know whomever uh, that that's that was a coordinator. I mean, look, Munkin and and McDonald are both very very good at what they do in terms of the defensive and offensive coordinator positions that they hold. Yet. I don't know. I mean, are they viable head coaching? You know, is, is McDonald too young? Is he too inexperienced? Is Todd Munkin too old? Is he too, you know, whatever. He had his opportunity once before in the NFL with the Browns that he didn't typically, you know, he didn't do very well um, there. Was it the Browns or the Bank or the Browns or the Buccaneers? I forget which one. Anyway, um, so we'll see. I mean, look, I'd like to have both of them remain, um, you know, for the, for just the continuity of the team. Um, but, you know, let's get through this season first. Well, you know, I, I didn't realize Todd Munkin was as old as he is until I saw him on TV. Because I can remember, yeah, that, right. And, and, uh, but I can, and he was at Georgia, what, I think, five, six mm-hmm. years ago, right? Kirby brought, brought him on. And, um, yeah. But I always got the impression uh, listening to uh, Georgia experts, and you know your wife probably knows more than mm-hmm. than I know about it because mm-hmm. uh, you know of her uh, history and everything. Mm-hmm. But the sure. uh, I always got that impression because I know uh, Buck Ballou, you know who was the quarterback on the 1980 uh, national championship team, uh, does a radio show, and he would talk about him a lot. And, uh-huh. and, and you know, how you get something in your mind that uh, then when you see him on TV, wow. I mean, he's not a young no. guy. And, that, and that's no. the way it was. But I, I think he's really uh, – I think he's good. He, I think he's very, uh, very good offensive coordinator. Whoa. And the other thing is our friend Wink Martindale resigning yeah. from the Giants. How about that? Well, I mean, I think Wink Martindale is one of those kind of guys that – you know, he's not a yes man for sure. Um, mm-hmm. I met him uh, maybe once or twice, and he looked to be a pretty straightforward, no BS, uh, rough and tumble kind of, this is my deal, here's how this is going to work. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, that, that rubs uh, some of these different head coaches the wrong way sometimes when they um, have a difference of opinion. Um you know, I can appreciate his style um, and his command of of wanting to do certain things. I truly believe that that may be my my soul as well in terms of how I ran my golf operations. Wait, um, that, tick, that, we got yeah. TikTok, TikTok, Doug. Sorry about that. I was just going to no say uh, when you as an as an example, Buddy Ryan and Mike Ditkin mm-hmm. with the the, uh, the Bears yeah. back in the uh, the mid eighties. Yeah. 
Yeah, old school. Well, listen, have a great week, uh, Doug. Uh, appreciate mm. it as always. And uh, do. Uh, Don had to uh, leave us a little early. But, uh, mm-hmm. Frank, thanks as always. Uh, we want to thank all of our guests, uh, Trevor and uh, Randy Lytle, Roy Cummings. And I'll tell you what, it's going to be an active week of football mm-hmm. in the National yes, Football League. And we'll be able to uh, get it all caught up next week. Take care. God Got bless. It. Have a great week. Thank you, everybody, Thank you. for listening to the Fighting Words again, Network. Doug. Ladies and gentlemen, this program is brought to you each and every night of the week. In grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, men and women of police and fire services. When you're out there and see somebody in uniform, please acknowledge them. Not all guys out there in uniform are bad. There's a lot of good guys out there who are working the streets like us. <clears throat> please, uh, these programs are brought to you in uh, grateful appreciation, I'm sorry, uh, in memory of those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcap, Patrolman uh, David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Sergeant Thomas Batinger, De- Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Ch- uh, Patrolman Charlie Condon, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department. Lieutenant Joyce Clark Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant James O'Connor, Police, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Chris Levake, Philadelphia County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Anafo Crispin, Lakeland PD. Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police. Uh, Deputy Josh Myers, uh, Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Chris Leach, uh, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris, I'm sorry. Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Arnett Hook, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Fikas, Wilmington Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hogle, Longo Cape Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. Deputy Chief, I'm sorry, Deputy Mike Hargrove, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department. Deputy Blaine Lane and Deputy Chris Meyer, Polk County Sheriff's Department. Sergeant Chris, Christopher uh, Fitzgerald, Philadelphia Sheriff's Department, and Temple University Police Department, and Sergeant uh, Margot Rodriguez of the um, Philadelphia Airport Police. My brothers and sisters, although you may be 10-7 at this point in time, at some time we'll be 10-10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields and the sunshine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of his hand. Tonight, God bless and please have a great, safe weekend.
County Dispatch to 1999. County Dispatch to 1999. County Dispatch to 1999. All units be advised. 1999 responded to his last emergency. Thank God rest his soul and all the souls of the faith that required. Good night, Bob. We love you and we miss you.